Welcome to Married to Politics. This podcast focuses on political topics that you accidentally end up discussing with someone way more knowledgeable than you. Except here, I save you the trouble by discussing politics accidentally on purpose. I'm Sarah Goggins, here with my husband, Derek Santola, who is the true political expert. Not unlike most mornings in our house, each episode, Derek surprises me with a key political issue that he is overprepared to discuss while I ask the hard-hitting and often awkward questions until I either understand or tire him out on the topic. So, Derek, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about the war in the Middle East. Oh, wow. Okay. So, on Tuesday, November 17th, Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller got in front of the podium at the Pentagon and announced that the U.S. will withdraw thousands of troops from Afghanistan and Iraq by January 15th, 2021. This was a good thing though, right? Or no? Well, it depends on who you ask. This is something that's a, a, a long time coming. When you say long time, this is the forever war. Right. Well, let's talk about how we got here. As most people are probably familiar with, on September 11th, 2001, the United States was attacked by a terrorist faction known as Al-Qaeda that was led by Osama bin Laden. There were devastating attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City, as well as the Pentagon. Hundreds of lives were lost. And within weeks, then-President George W. Bush put the United States on the trajectory for invading Afghanistan and then later Iraq. This became known as the Global War on Terror. And throughout this time, specifically in Afghanistan, the US and its allies drove the Taliban from power in order to deny Al-Qaeda a safe base of operations within that country. From 2001 through 2014, hundreds of thousands of troops entered the country in what was codenamed Operation Enduring Freedom. Now in 2015, we transitioned from a offensive type operation to one that was more focused on stability, and the code name also changed to um, Operation Freedom's Sentinel. This was towards the end of the Barack Obama administration. But as you said before, this is the longest war in U.S. history. It's going on close to 20 years, and by the time the troop drawdown occurs in 2021, it'll be in its 20th year. Now, specifically under President Trump, when he came to office at the beginning of 2017, there were 9,000 troops in Afghanistan. Which is not that many compared to what we started with, but those 9,000 troops have, have kind of been there for an indefinite period of time at this point. That's right. So at the end of the Obama administration, there was a similar move to try to reduce the overall amount of troops within the country to try to show us that the, the war is over. However... We're not really quite at that point either with this announcement coming on Tuesday. In 2019, August of last year, there were negotiations that were started between the Taliban and the Trump administration. The Taliban planned to negotiate with the U.S. to reduce troop levels back to where they had been when Trump took office because at the beginning of his administration, we actually increased the amount of soldiers in country. However, those initial meetings were canceled because... There was a terrorist attack, which infuriated President Trump, and he canceled those negotiations. Roll the clock forward to February of this year. President Trump was actually much criticized for peace discussions that he had between the United States and the Taliban. Isn't that when he invited them to Camp David? So the there was an invitation to Camp David, but the document that 
put us on trajectory for the announcement that happened on Tuesday was the peace deal that was signed in Doha, Qatar. Now, that document requires that U.S. troops withdraw from Afghanistan within 14 months, so the beginning of next year, 2021, so long as the Taliban cooperates with the terms of the agreement. It's a very short document. It's about four pages, and I'll put that in the show notes. But specifically, the Taliban is required to not allow Afghanistan to threaten the security of the U.S. and its allies. It's not allowed to cooperate with terrorist groups. It's got to prevent recruiting, training, and fundraising, and can't host terrorist organizations within the borders of Afghanistan. Can't provide asylum or residence to terrorists, or even provide them legal documentations such as visas, passports, travel permits, or other legal documentation. Effectively, what this would create would be a legal recognition of the Taliban, which is the organization that we went to war with in 2001. Yeah, I guess there's a lot here that I want to respond to that I don't necessarily know how to respond to. It sounds like, and maybe this is my lack of institutional knowledge on this front, but it sounds like we're like legitimizing the Taliban. Are they not in and of itself a terrorist faction? So the Taliban itself is the government that was in power in Afghanistan and Al-Qaeda was the terrorist faction which launched the attacks against the United States on September 11th. So the Taliban is not a terrorist organization? The Taliban itself is a government organization whereas Al-Qaeda is the terrorist organization. However, the Taliban condoning Al-Qaeda and other terrorist organizations in and of itself doesn't make it an ally or a friend to the United States. Even more important is there's a recognized Afghan government in country. One of the important steps of Operation Enduring Freedom, the early phase of the 2000s, was that they established a secular government which was created through a process called the Loya Jirga, which is a grand assembly of tribes Afghanistan itself is actually a collection of tribal entities, and then what Western powers have done is laid over national national borders. So the Bush administration comes in, the military sets up a Afghan government, a secularized Afghan government. That is not related to the Taliban. That is not the Taliban. Okay. And over the years, these peace agreements have been to allow the Afghan government to coexist with the Taliban government. The big pushback is that when the Trump administration tried to enter into peace agreements with the Taliban, it effectively legitimized the organization. Okay, so there's a difference to me between an organization and a government entity. So how if we have worked to establish an Afghani government regime, how does that work in tandem with a secondary regime that we acknowledge that runs the country. I feel like I might be missing I, I might be missing the point on this. The fact is is that we haven't been able to destroy the Taliban. The Taliban continues to um, allow insurgency attacks while at the same time trying to enter into agreements with the United States and the Afghani government. But why would we care what they wanted? Why would we enter into agreements with the Taliban as opposed to just working with the Afghani government? That's what I'm missing. Because we've been in Afghanistan for close to 20 years. And because we haven't been able to destroy the Taliban in its entire existence, we have to work with them to try to forge a peace deal. That's That's one school of thought. 
Or is that like everyone that's the, understands that's that? That's the prevailing school of thought. On both so, sides of the party? Both parties? So, so we'll get to the politics in a minute, but what I would like to focus on specifically is the Department of Defense and the generals, what their take is on it. So, on this, On this announcement that we're withdrawing troops? Yes. Okay, before we get there, are we withdrawing all 9,000 troops? What is the number? What this troop reduction would create is that by January 15th, so that's just five days before Joe Biden is sworn in as president, it would leave 5,000 troops in the region, 2,500 in Afghanistan, and 2,500 in Iraq. So this would be an overall reduction in force to simply what is referred to as advise and assist capabilities. This has also caused speculation by defense officials who have uh, spoken to news outlets um, anonymously that Trump would actually continue the order of uh, a complete withdrawal of troops, not only uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq with the drawdown, but we remove all troops that are currently serving in Syria and Somalia, about 900 and 500 respectively. So to, to get the take from the... Defense Department, as well as the generals, uh, it's important to understand how we got here. So I mentioned that peace agreement that was signed in February 2020 between the Trump administration and the Taliban. Now, as I, as I laid out before, there are specific goals that have to be met. And uh, along with that, there are continued risks that any troop reduction would cause. So... I mentioned that Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller was the one that made the announcement. Christopher Miller is the Acting Secretary of Defense because the prior Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, was fired by President Trump. Mm -hmm. So as we know, on November 3rd, Joe Biden won election. And then it seemed like Trump has been on a firing spree of those who have stood in opposition to his plans. So prior to getting fired, Esper sent a classified memo to the White House claiming that it was the unanimous recommendation of the chain of command, which included Esper himself, Marine General Kenneth McKenzie, who's the commander of Central Command, which is in charge of operations in the Middle East, as well as the NATO commander, Army General Austin Miller, along with General Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, all saying that the U.S. should not draw down its troop presence in Afghanistan any further until specific conditions are met. It also highlighted specific risks, which included green on blue attacks, which is where American service members were being attacked by anxious Afghan soldiers. So these are allied Afghan soldiers attacking American troops, a consistent problem which has plagued our operation in Afghanistan for the two decades we've been there. It also erode the credibility and standing of the U.S. around the world. It would impact the Afghan military, which heavily relies on U.S. enablers, such as logistics and air support, and perhaps most importantly, undermine efforts to get the Taliban to live up to their end of the peace agreement. Because if the Trump administration pulls troops out without conditions being met, what's the purpose of them trying to meet those conditions in the first place? Sure. So what Trump has done in response to that memo is, aside from firing Esper, he's also installed a series of sycophants or yes-men. We talked about Miller, who's now the acting Secretary of Defense, but also uh, Trump has hired a senior advisor to the Pentagon, which is retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. McGregor is a strong opponent of U.S. presence in Afghanistan, but this is the same guy that has also called 
for lethal force to be used against illegal immigrants as well as other public racist comments. So we've got Trump supporters in leading the Defense Department. We've got the chain of command advising against the Trump uh, drawdown. And yet here we are with a drawdown continuing just days before Biden taking over. And if you remember our previous episode, the uh, General Services Administration Administrator Emily Murphy still has not ascertained that Biden is the president-elect. So we've got a whole um, giant bomb waiting for Biden as soon as he takes the oath of office on January 20th next year. I get, I'm still hung up on us making deals and negotiating with the Taliban. Earlier this year, weren't there reports that Russia was paying bounties to the Taliban to kill American soldiers? So why would we negotiate with those people? Why would we negotiate with the Taliban if they are working with Russia to kill U.S. soldiers, if they are still actively killing U.S. soldiers? It's a whole other conversation whether they want us there or not, but the fact that we're negotiating with them feels... Maybe it's too high level for me to understand because I don't have all the facts, but that feels completely absurd to me. And then for us to just pull out doesn't feel like the right move. You're right to point out that one of the old adages of American foreign policy is that we don't negotiate with terrorists. However, since this has been the longest ongoing war, it's also politically popular. In fact, something that Trump ran on in 2016 and in 2020 that he would end those forever wars. So he's trying to make good on his promise, likely for political reasons. I mean, don't forget, Donald Trump hasn't conceded the presidency. So a Trump 2 administration could point to the fact that, hey, we pulled out of Afghanistan. There's no more troops there. However, that runs into a quick problem when everyone else, including many members of the Republican caucus within Congress, have acknowledged that Joe Biden is the president-elect. So how do our allies feel about this? They're not happy about it. Specifically, the NATO commander, Jen Stoltenberger, so NATO, Northern Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is the group of Western powers, which includes members from Canada, as well as Europe, who have been our allies operating in the Middle East, are not happy that Trump is pulling thousands of soldiers out because aside from... American soldiers, there are also hundreds, if not thousands, of NATO troops that are still serving within Afghanistan and the broader Middle East. They're not happy that the American troop presence is being withdrawn without meeting any of those conditions. They kind of feel like the United States is turning their back on their commitments. And don't forget, this is the this is something that the United States, though rightfully, because of the attacks on September 11th, this is something the United States started. And so for them to pull out without any sort of conditions being met or any agreement from allies obviously frustrates them. What does the Afghanistan, Afghani government feel about us negotiating without, with the Taliban and us, and us leaving the Middle East? Same sort of uh, mixed reactions. Um, the Afghani government is, has, as I said before, for various reasons, many of which being military-focused, have become reliant on the United States. But it's this concept of how do we ever disengage from Afghanistan? Do we just rip the band-aid off and remove all of our troops, thus ending the forever war? I think that creates a gigantic national security issue and you've created a vacuum of space for 
terrorist operations who like to and thrive on chaos. However, on the other side of the coin, we may be quite happy that those troops are finally coming home. We are disengaging and ending the war in the Middle East. And because of those two sides of the coin, I want to talk about the uh, the mixed reaction from Capitol Hill. It's actually really interesting. So generally you would think anything that President Trump does would garner applaud and support from the Republicans. And anything that he does would also be uh, criticized and challenged by the Democrats. Well, that's not quite the case. So going specifically to the House, which is controlled by the Democrats, House Armed Services Committee Chairman Adam Smith, Democrat out of Washington State, said that the troop reduction is the right policy move while cautioning that any drawdown must be coordinated with American allies and the Afghan government. So he says, this is the right call, and Trump's just not doing it the right way. Basically. However, the ranking Republican on that committee, Mac Thornberry from Texas, said the decision was a mistake and said that the Taliban has done nothing, met no condition that would justify the cut. So here's a ranking Republican challenging the president of his own party for this decision. If you go to the Senate, it's the exact opposite. Senate Armed Services Committee Chair Jim Inhofe, Republican from Oklahoma, issued a statement of restrained support saying that the Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller and National Security Advisor Christopher O'Brien are taking actions that made Inhofe feel at ease, that O'Brien and Miller are consulting with allies and that the plan would ensure protection of Americans from terrorist attacks originating in Afghanistan and safeguarding Afghan gains and supporting partners and allies. However, ranking Democrat Jack Reed said that there's a right way and a wrong way to do this, and President Trump is once again choosing the wrong way. And we can't let U.S. national security and our relationships with steadfast partners become a casualty of President Trump's wounded ego, referring back to the president's election loss on November 3rd. Okay, that's really interesting. Are there any other overarching major issues here? Yeah, absolutely. So don't forget, Donald Trump is not going to be the president on January 20th. Don't tell him that. Joe Biden is. Heyo. However, as we explained in the last episode, Biden is still waiting on getting security briefings from top national security advisors within the government. So Biden is taking this all in stride. The same day that these announcements were made, Biden was gathering virtually with a collection of intelligence, defense, and diplomatic experts. Now, it's important to know that none of these experts are actually currently affiliated with the U.S. government. So this raises some questions about whether Biden was actually getting the most up-to-date information about the current dangers facing the nation. However, of the 12 participants who appeared via video, it included former Deputy CIA Director David Cohen, retired General Stanley McChrystal, who was the head of Central Command, so this is the same guy that's in charge of operations within the Middle East, and April Haynes, a Deputy National Security Advisor in the Obama administration, amongst others. So he's doing the best he can. He's meeting with people who, based off of their current occupation, perhaps with a defense contracting company, still maintain security clearances. He's trying to still get the information he needs, albeit not the most up-to-date. Importantly, I I read this just as we were preparing for this episode. Um, Josh Hawley, who sits on the Senate Armed Services Committee and um, is is a Republican out of Missouri, has said that it shouldn't 
have to come to this point where Biden isn't able to receive any sort of intelligence briefings. You know, we said on the last episode that all he was a candidate, he was receiving intelligence briefings. He had access to more information when he was the candidate compared to the information that he has now as the president-elect. That's right. Just absurd. That's right. So Hawley was saying at, at a minimum, he should be getting the same level of security briefings that he received as a candidate while we're still waiting on this ascertainment from oh, Emily Murphy. How generous of him to have almost a spine. So, and he's the second Republican to come out. Last week, it was Republican Jim Lankford who said that by last Friday, if Biden didn't receive the intelligence reports that he should be receiving as the president-elect, that he would step in. Oh, did he step in? Still hasn't stepped in. Oh, okay. So we got a lot of pandering and, and grandstanding from the Republicans, but it's more than saying that Biden isn't the president-elect. So at least there's that. Interestingly, don't forget that Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is still a member of the Senate. And as a member of the Senate, she is allowed... She to has ha- access. To have intelligence briefings because she sits on the Senate Intelligence Committee. So the vice president-elect, Kamala Harris, has higher level intelligence briefings than the president-elect, Joe Biden, because of her position in the Senate. 2020 is wild. So... But that's good. I mean, I feel like that's at least one loophole. Right. Right. So all of this to say, if you are the spouse or family member of a service member who's coming home because of these decisions. That's wonderful. This is fantastic for you. And hopefully you're able to see your soldier, Marine, sailor, airman, or member of the Coast Guard back in your home around the holidays. However, for the grander picture of national security threats, this could pose a problem and the timing is really what's keeping me up at night. I mean, these soldiers are supposed to be coming home just five days before Joe Biden takes the oath of office. And he's not able to have any sort of access to the intelligence briefings that he needs right now. I, I feel more informed, but I don't feel better about any of it. I don't know if this is the right decision. I don't know if it's the wrong decision. It seems like this is the right decision implemented in the wrong way. Who knows what the ramifications are. But I, I don't feel good ending this podcast. Like This feels this depressing, uncertain for our country of what this means. I definitely feel more informed. I didn't know much. I remember hearing about this on the news. So I appreciate you giving me the lowdown. But it's still very concerning. I think the good news is that people are hard at work at this, even though there's structural uh, challenges for them to face. And that on day one, uh, Joe Biden will hit the ground running. And what's also important to realize is that uh, Mark Milley, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is a Senate-confirmed position, and he's not removed when Trump leaves office. So there's there's still the apolitical military apparatus that's still intact. And like I said before earlier in the episode, they were all against the troop drawdown. So it's very possible that, you know, based off those conditions that need to be met, that the military advisors to the president-elect, Joe Biden, will say, this is the best course to go. I think he's a strong proponent of listening to the generals and not thinking that he's smarter than them. So I think that's your ray of sunshine at the end of the day here is that, you know, the, the military and their infinite wisdom will be able to make the right call here. And it's not going to be subject to political games moving forward. I think with that, we'll wrap it up. And for everyone, just an early happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>